Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, and my purpose in life is to encourage people to live positively through the many and varied challenges that life throws at us. You can find out more about me and this interview at uh, journeytosuccessradio.com. My guest today is an amazing and interesting man who's part of an upcoming book that uh, we're both involved in called Journeys to Success, and it talks about the empowering life stories of a number of people and how Napoleon Hill principles have helped to inspire those life stories. So Daniel Henzelka is the CEO of Reset Global, a business and life transformation company. He is the author of Financial Reset and co-author of Ready, Aim, Inspire, and Mastering the Art of Success. He reset his financial life by discovering his purpose and passion after spending 18 years in the financial industry as a certified financial planner. Daniel is the co-creator of the five-step reset formula that helps entrepreneurs to simplify and gamify their business and life in order to have a level 10 experience in the four dimensions of life. Today, as a reset warrior and a success coach, he empowers others to transform their lives by discovering their full potential and creating powerful results in the four dimensions of life. Those are faith, family, fitness, and finance. Welcome to the show today, Daniel. Well, thank you, Tom. Thanks for that introduction, and uh, I'm looking forward to our uh, time together. I love this four uh, dimensions of life, and I love your philosophy on that. And as you've told me uh, a few times in various uh, mastermind uh, calls and phone calls, as you said, like in especially North America, probably any developed country, if you have financial success, people give you a pass on your faith and your family and your fitness. You could have a lot of money, but you could have a family that you spend no time with, have no rapport with. You could be grossly out of shape, and you could have no faith in God. And yet still somehow, because you have that financial success, people will give you a pass. But that is not the way it should be lived, right, Daniel? Well, 100%, and I think the uh, epitome of that is, you know, look at Hollywood. You know, everybody looks at, wow, wouldn't that be great to be, you know, a, a star or a movie star and have all of the money? But when we look a little bit closer, uh, you know, they they have a quite a messy life, if I would, you know, as I would kind of call it, because we wouldn't want what they have. And uh, one of my coaches, that's what that's what he would always tell me, you know what, all the money looks great. But if you start looking at deeper, there is a big mess that's underlying that. So what I really want to, uh, you know, to 
through the business and through coaching that I do with clients said, you know what, let's start looking at life a little bit from a different perspective. How can you actually go and have it all in, you know, in the four areas and not only concentrate on money? And when I was in the financial industry, Tom, so often the conversation would start around money and that's what everybody would focus on. When I would sit down with clients, I said, you know what, it's not about money. It's not about the, the financial gains. It's really about all the other stuff because all money does, it magnifies what you already have. And mm. often if, you know, if I tell people, if you already have a mess in your life, having more money, you're going to have bigger mess. You know, if you have success in life, having more money, you're going to have more success. So it's not just about money and focusing on having money. It's what's happening beyond that that's really important. Right. I love that. And it brings to mind uh, a story Zig Ziglar told uh, uh, when he was alive. And he said uh, this guy came to him and he said, you know, I would give anything to be like my boss. He is such a successful man. And so Zig Ziglar dug a little deeper and said, okay, let's examine this man's life. He's like, how's his fitness? It sucked. How's his life with his family? Well, he's been divorced twice. Uh, how's his faith? Well, that one was no good either. So in the end, like you said, all after Zig Ziglar drilled down, all the man had was financial success, but the rest of his life was in a mess. And Zig Ziglar was like, is that still the person you want to become? And the person that had come to him was like, uh, no, I want to have it all. I don't want to just have the financial success. I want to have the faith that uh, Zig Ziglar had. I want to have the family uh, as my goal and, my, you know, and have a good family life. And I want to be fit as well. And so to uh, have all four of those dimensions and have them all start with F, that's easy for me to remember and people to remember. And, so I really, really love that focus, and not a lot of people will focus on all four of those areas. Now, if I remember correctly as well, uh, you were born in a communist country, Czechoslovakia, which uh, my brother-in-law is from, and uh, must be quite a different uh, experience to live in a communist country and then live in an amazing, well, Czechoslovakia is an amazing country, but... I tell people living in Canada is like a global blessing. So talk about the difference uh, in mindset and life from living in a communist country to living in a free enterprise country like Canada. Well, you know what? I mean, definitely Canada is, I mean, Canada is my home now. I tell people, you know what? I was born in uh, Czechoslovakia. My body is Czechoslovakian. My brain now is Canadian. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm fully Canadian and I think Canada is uh, is one of the greatest countries in the world to live in. But just like anywhere, there's always issues uh, wherever you live. And I mean, living you know under communism, I lived there for the first 13 years of my life. Uh, obviously, we didn't have the you know the freedom of uh, you know freedom of speech. Now again, as a child, I really didn't notice that much. I mean, for you know, for for the better part of my life, life was you know, pretty well normal. I had everything that I want and that, that I, you know, that we wanted because we didn't know that there was more. Obviously, as you grow up and get older, you start, you know, thinking a little bit outside of that. Uh, so from that perspective, 
you know, living there and living, you know, living under communism as aside from, you know, the regime and everything, you know, that was definitely one of the, uh, the downfalls of that. Living here, again, we do have the freedom where we can go and do whatever we want. Again, it brings, you know, it, it brings challenges because when, when I look at, you know, and people ask me, well, do you see the difference? And ask me the question you just asked, you know what, I do. But there is also a lot of similarities because for me, growing up uh, in uh, in communism, I grew up kind of with the whole scarcity mentality uh, from the perspective of you couldn't just go and get things in the store that you want. You would go and, uh, you know, if somebody needed a, a car part, you know, they would have a friend that works in a machine shop and they would go and have a machine as opposed to going to the store and buying it. So mm-hmm. a lot of people would do a lot of things on their own, again, which is great. But it can also affect you, you know, later on in life, where for me, you know, growing up, I would tend to want to do things on my own. And as I realized, as I moved as an entrepreneur, you know, we can't do everything by ourselves. You know, right. uh, people say, well, I'm a self-made man. You know what? There is no self-made man because, you know mm-hmm. what, if he's wearing a shirt, chances are he didn't knit that shirt himself. Could have, but chances not. So there really nobody is self-made. So the whole premise of, Trying to do things on your own really doesn't work in the entrepreneurial business because you you know you need help from others to be able to really succeed and have the success. So, you know what? Going back to Czech Republic, and I've been there several times. Actually, had the opportunity to go back there uh, last year after my trip to uh, to India. And for me now, it's great to go and visit and see family and friends. But uh, definitely living, uh, you know what? Living uh, life here in Canada is is much greater because there is a lot more, a lot more opportunities, a lot more freedom. If if I'd ever went back there, it would be very difficult, I think, to uh, you know to live there because we get used to things and uh, I'd mm-hmm. have to do a few things that we do have here. Right, exactly. I remember uh, when I lived in Ottawa, I uh, taught English as a second language, and there were a number of students from Russia in the class and. I asked them, what was like the biggest, coolest thing when you came to Canada compared to Russia? And they immediately said, grocery stores. Uh, they said it was an unbelievable experience to walk into a grocery store with just aisles and aisles of fresh food. And they said there you would line up for half an hour for a loaf of bread and the bread wouldn't even be fresh bread. And same with other resources. So it goes along with what you said about the scarcity mentality. And as you had mentioned to me a few days ago, the scarcity mentality doesn't just affect the financial part of life. It affects so many other parts of your thinking and your existence. And so it's not just a financial area, but uh, we do uh, live in a blessed society. I remind people when I speak that four out of ten people in the world live on less than two dollars a day and daniel you and i are nice people but what is it that we do that makes us more deserving to live in canada than people that live on less than two dollars a day we are really blessed and anyone who lives in a first world country is really blessed they're no nicer than people that live on less than two dollars a day but somehow god has given the um, the ability and the blessing of living in a first world country Oh, you know what? 100%. I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, when you mentioned that poverty in the world is is great, and I, as I mentioned to you, I, I was uh, had an opportunity to go to India and and spend 
time there. Uh, one of my business partners was actually getting married. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of crazy when you start looking at what people are living on. And, you know, the, the story that comes to my mind, we actually went out and uh, had a rickshaw where somebody was actually biking on it and it took us about, you know, a kilometer and a half. But uh, I think it cost us, uh, I think it was like 20 rupees. And, you know, you, you basically get 65 rupees for a dollar. So, I mean, you're talking like, you know, a quarter of a penny. I don't even know what that was. Right. And I, I felt sorry for the person. I'm like going, I felt like getting off. Right. But but again, you can't go and give them more money than that, you know, they have, because that kind of messes the whole socioeconomic thing, because now they become to expect. So it's, it's I think, very difficult. But I 100 percent agree with you. We're so blessed. And, uh, you know, with what we have. And, uh, you know, I think every morning that we wake up here in Canada, we win the lottery because, you know, we we have, uh, you know, the resources that we do have. And uh, it's it's definitely something that I think we take for you know for granted as as far as when you're looking at that. Going back to the story that you mentioned regarding the grocery stores, I mean that was probably the largest culture shock. Uh, not to draw out the story, but we actually defected from Czechoslovakia in 1986. Went for a vacation, a bus vacation with with my mother uh, to former Yugoslavia, and from there we went to Austria. And I remember when we went to the stores there. Uh, and it was, I wouldn't even call it a supermarket. It would be a small, like a half of a store would, when we have a grocery store here, probably about half the size. But I do remember my mom going to the stores and being completely amazed and thought that basically the, especially the, the meat was fake. And, and primarily the reason was she was actually a food inspector in Czechoslovakia when, when uh, that was her job. So she was around food all the time and she would see whenever it would came in, even at the butcher store and all this. And she never saw any of this, right? So that was a yeah. huge culture shock. And then, you know, definitely coming to Canada, it was just that much bigger. <laughs> you know, everything seems to be bigger here in North America. We like things big. So that was even mu much more of a culture shock from there because even though she was working around food, you know, seeing that much, you know, that much in one place, uh, it, it was quite, you know, quite shocking. So I can definitely identify with the, uh, you know, the, the people that you mentioned uh, that were from Russia, because in, in Czechoslovakia, we were a little bit better off than some of the other communist countries. I mean, I know we went on a vacation to Romania. That was probably at the, how old was I? I was probably nine or ten. And that was probably the first time where I kind of uh, experienced poverty because we were driving through this small village and, and suddenly people were crowding in the center of the square and we were like going, wow, what, what's going on? And literally there was a truck that pulled over with uh it kind of looked like an army truck and people were in the back and they just started throwing loaves of bread to the people that were waiting there and and that was kind of shocking because when i grew up in Czechoslovakia, we never really lacked anything because again unfortunately under communism sometimes it's who you know and and who you you know who you were working with and again from the food perspective mom working in a you know as a food inspector in, in grocery stores we weren't really lacking anything, and whenever she wanted something, you know, she could get it. But uh, going in Romania, that was kind of a bit of a shock because I, you know, didn't make any sense, right? Because I, you know, kind of experienced that. And we went to the we went to the store, and literally there was nothing in the uh, 
in the in the store there were a couple of cans that were not even marked and and you're kind of going okay what's you know what's going on again kind of the next step were in Czechoslovakia at that time there wasn't a lot of stuff but we still had quite a few things when you went to the stores wow now one thing the group of people i admire the most is single mothers look sounds like you had uh your your mom was a single mom and some of the things like that she did, going to Yugoslavia for a vacation, but in the back of her mind, knowing she was going to defect to Canada and then having to live there for six months, presumably without a job or maybe not one that was optimum for what her skills and talents were, um, your mom must have been an amazing lady. Well, you know what? She she definitely is. I mean, as, as, as you have mentioned, my parents divorced when I was nine years old, and, and that was quite quite a drastic event in my life that is still essentially affecting me you know to this to this day going through it and for quite a, for about 30 years of my life thinking that it wasn't affecting until I kind of opened my eyes and saw how it was but mm-hmm. uh, definitely you know what the the story of uh, crossing every border because traveling from Czechoslovakia we had to drive through Hungary and through from Hungary to Yugoslavia and there were a few things that kind of didn't make sense. You know, why are we packing winter clothes when we're going on a summer vacation? <laughs> uh, you know, every time we crossed the border, you know, our mom was like green and we couldn't figure out. And then there was these two guys that were behind us and they were celebrating. And me and my sister were kind of joking. They're not going, they're not coming back. And mom would tell us, don't say anything, don't say anything. You know, not only that, every time we crossed the border, even though they were, well, going from Czechoslovakia, which was communist to Hungary, they were they were communists with the, uh, capitalism, where they were a lot more freer, and then Yugoslavia was that much that much even more freer. But every time we went across the border, it was like, you know, don't smile. Kind of like here when you go, you know, to your license picture, you know, don't smile. When you go across the border from Canada to U.S., you know, don't smile either. I'm like going, come on, we're people, right? Right. But there, you know, there it was like she said, if anybody asked, that's not our suitcase. That was the one full of winter clothes and, and a backpack. And we're like going, we, she didn't tell us anything when we were going. And I mean, obviously, if if she did and we said something, right. uh, you know what, she would, you know, she would go to jail mm-hmm. and then things would have changed. You know, at, at that point, actually, she did have to get a permission from from our dad if if uh, we can, you know, if we can, she can take us. And how it was actually classified to the government of Czechoslovakia after we defected was that she has stolen the property of Czechoslovakia. That's wow. what actually was, was basically said, because from that perspective, under communism, we as children were the property, and the communists actually came to my dad and wanted to pay him money to come and get us when we were in Austria. Wow. So it it was one of it was one of those things. I mean, it's you know we, I could probably spend hours and hours kind of telling you some of those things that we have gone through. But getting back to what you have said, you know what? Definitely, uh, I, I admire single mothers and uh, what, what they were able to do and the risk that our mom has taken was you know was quite incredible. And uh, it's it's one of those things where looking backwards, going for me anyway, how God was protecting us all the way through because there were just way too many coincidences that were happening. So uh, it, it was really uh, quite, it's quite the story to uh, to tell. Wow, amazing. Now your heart is really with entrepreneurs and your five-step reset formula helping them to simplify 
and gamify both their business and their life uh, by doing more by doing less. It's a weird concept that not everyone can wrap their head around. But talk about that because it's so important. There's so many things we can do. And what I found when I discovered my God-given definite purpose, I had a purpose, but it was my own. And then uh, someone from the Napoleon Hill Foundation said, Tom, that's not your purpose. You're trying to be someone else. And when I discovered my God-given purpose, my purpose that if Jesus was sitting on the other side of my desk, which would be a pretty cool meeting, I really believe he would give me the same document that I have put together saying, Tom, this is why you're here. And so uh, once you know your purpose, you can focus and do less and still get more accomplished and have more joy even though you're doing less. So talk about that because it's a very important point for people. Well, you know what? I think it was uh, Warren Buffett quote. I can't remember the quote, but somebody came to him and says, okay, how can I really be successful? And he says, you know what? It's not what you're doing that makes you successful. It's what you stop doing that will make you successful. Because so often we as entrepreneurs, we feel like we, we have to do it all. And so often we get involved in things that are really not helping us and moving us forward into really what, what it is that we want. So one of the focuses that you know I, I want to encourage people is to start looking at what are you really doing and is it getting you what it is that you want? And the more you stop doing the things that are not getting you what you want, you're going to have the time to focus on, on the things that you really want. And for me, you know, after I uh, you know, quit the financial industry after 18 years, uh, it was kind of like, I can do so many different things. And let me tell you, I, was, I had fingers in so many different things, yet I was like, I'm not really moving forward. I wasn't really getting the traction that I really want. So I started focusing on saying, you know what? What is it that I really want to go out there and do? And, and you know, what you mentioned, sitting down and really finding out what your God-given purpose is and, and what your vision for life is, is so important. And one of the exercises that I've, that I've done is, is go through that and finding out, okay, what is kind of the, the, the purpose and, 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 and mission and vision, what it is that I really want to, you know, go out there and do, and what is it that God wants me to do? And, and what came to me, and at first it made no sense to me, it, the, the words that God put into my mind was, learn the truth, live the truth, and share the truth. And I remember one first time I heard that, I'm like going, that's the most ridiculous thing that I've heard. But hmm. more and more I start examining it, I realized that, you know what? Coming from a communist country, I was lied to from the day I was born. Hmm. Right? I mean, not only by the government, you know what, by parents, by society. So learning the truth has become very important for me. And to me, that comes down to, again, in the four dimensions of life, we really need to know what is the truth because I realize that so often we are actually telling ourselves stories and telling stories to ourselves, meaning that really they're, they're lies. So really we lie to ourselves, not intentionally. It's not like, okay, I'm going to lie to myself now. But so often we start believe things and start saying things to ourselves that are really not based on any truth that is really in our life. Right. So when it comes down to 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 really knowing what it is, I start telling myself, well, is that really true or is it just something that I believe? And 
that kind of that journey actually started oh, probably about seven or ten years ago when I uh, ran across a couple of books uh, by Francis Chan. One of them is Forgotten God, and the other one is Crazy Love. And uh, what that really was is him questioning, what is it that I really believe about God? Do I believe it because I believe it, or is it something that somebody else has told me that I should believe? And, you know, when when he came to that question, he realized that, hang on, I don't really know what I truly believe. So he, he started digging a little bit deeper into that, because our lives are so full of traditions, and so many things that uh, that we do, and a lot of times we don't really know why we do it. And the uh, the, the perfect story of that is I've I've heard this story. I'm, there was many variations of that. It's about a husband comes home with this beautiful Thanksgiving ham, and he gives it to the uh, to his wife and says, you know, can you cook that? So she grabs this beautiful big ham and she cuts you know one end off of it, cuts another end off of it, and uh, she uh, she puts it in the oven, and uh, the husband goes, well, what are you doing? Why are you cutting it? She goes, well, that's, that's the way I was taught. That's the way that my mother has done that. And uh, so he goes, okay, well, why are you doing that? Oh, I don't know. Let's call my mother. So they phone the mother, and they tell her, you know, why, why, were, why were we doing this? Well, that's the way my mother always taught me to do that. And he goes, okay, well, they phone the grandma. I get the grandma on the phone, and the grandma goes, well, you know what? I don't know why you're doing it, why you're cutting it, but the reason that I have cut it is because my pan and stove was too small to fit the ham in. So <laughs> here you have three generations of people doing something, not even knowing why they're doing it, but they're doing it. Right. So for me, when it came down to, you know, faith, I kind of, you know, I, I reset my faith. I started to go, okay, what is it that I really believe? And are these things traditions? And when we start looking at, and, and for me and my faith in, you know, in God and in, you know, in, in Christianity, there are so many traditions that, that, that we are in. So I started, and, and my family, not just myself, my whole family starts saying, okay, well, if we're going to do certain things, are we doing them for a reason? And are they really what we should be doing or not? Then wow. about five years ago, when it came down to my fitness and food, we started questioning things. And we always wanted to be healthy, but uh, five years ago, we ran across some information that completely transformed our life. I, back in 2006, I was 260 pounds. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? At that time, I thought, I'm not that... You know, I might be a little bit, you know, a little bit chunky, but right. I didn't think I was fat or obese or overweight. Well, you know what? I'm 170 right now. So I lost over 90 pounds, and really the biggest transformation came in 2010 when we learned this information about food and what food was really designed for. And food for us is really fuel. And, you know, at this point, I don't put anything into this body that's not there to help it to uh, grow to repair itself and to give it energy. And unfortunately, as we, you know, as we live in this fast-paced world, a lot of the food that you go into, you know, in the, that you buy in the grocery store, a lot of those ingredients uh, are there to make it look better, taste better, and last longer. Right. 
And most of those things are really not that healthy because I believe that our body has been, you know, created in a way when we give it the right food, it's able to right itself, obviously to a certain, ex- you know, to a certain extent. But I have seen people that have had some illnesses and, and chronic things that the uh, doctor says, I can't do anything for you. And they have been, they have been healed. They have been, you know, repaired again. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not given an advice, but I've seen it. My brother-in-law is in his 70s, and he was on, I think, three or four different medications for over 40 years. When he changed his, the food that he was eating, he's completely all, off of all of his uh, medication. Wow. So a lot of times, the, you know, the things that we put in into our bodies, and we don't think about it. And then again, that's where I was. You know, I look at the pictures where I was 260 pounds, and I'm thinking, what was I thinking? And then I realized I probably wasn't thinking. Right. You know, I probably wasn't even aware that there was an issue or that there was a problem. But again, looking backwards now, I kind of say, you know what, I was I was a victim, and and I have seen the truth. And again, this is where it comes down to. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I have the ultimate truth on everything because you know what, life's a journey and we're learning. But the biggest thing that uh, and, and the quote comes. Uh, says the most dangerous thing for a mankind is the unquestioned mind. So often we do things and we have no idea why we're even doing them. And to me, that's what I want to do for people. I want them to question, listen, how I choose to eat is not for everybody. But I want you to think about is why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you eating the food that you're doing? And what is that food possibly doing to you? What is the effect of that? And that's really where where my job comes in, and and this is going back to kind of the purpose that I have is to learn the truth, live the truth, and share the truth. That's what it's all about. It's just sharing with people to think about things a little bit different. And one of the biggest things was for us when we, you know, started this journey on, you know, on on the faith, uh, on the, uh, you know, fitness. You know, when it comes down to family, you know, as I mentioned, my parents divorced. uh, You know, when I was nine years old, my sister was. 13, 14. So, you know what? According to statistics, I have had 75% chance that I'm already going to be divorced. But you know what? Next year in May, it's going to be 20 years that I've been happily married with, you know, with my wife. And, and we're, we're uh, you know, kind of reset that whole, I've reset my whole family tree from that perspective. Because, you know what? I, I believe that when it comes down to divorces, it's a multi-generational thing. And I see it, unfortunately, with my sister. Uh, you know, she has just gone through a divorce and uh, and that. So what I want to encourage everyone is just to start questioning, okay, why am I why am I doing what am I doing? Why am I believing what I'm believing? And is what I'm believing really the truth or is there, you know, something more to that? You know, when it comes down to the whole food industry, what I've learned is that most of the products that are on the shelf are there because somebody wants to make money at the other side. And there is nothing wrong to be in a business. But when, again, the money becomes more important than the benefit that people are supposed to get out of the food, that's where the issue comes from. And I think a lot of, a lot of companies are not pushing the whole health-conscious thing because there is not a lot of money in there for them unless they can put a formula on it and a patent on it or something like that. Mm. Oh, wow. You're getting me excited here. This is like just uh... – Right up my alley. So let me ask you this. Uh, uh, you're a fan of Napoleon Hill, and you know that Napoleon Hill wrote repeatedly uh, that the best 
mastermind relationship, which is success principle number two out of 17. The first four are in order, definiteness of purpose, mastermind alliance, applied faith, and going the extra mile. But the most important mastermind relationship is between a husband and a wife. And then at our church, uh, we've had a number of uh, marriage uh, seminars, courses, to help couples. So the recent one that's going to start in November is by Andy Stanley, and he asked the question, is it possible to fall in love and stay in love? And so many of the things you're talking about, you mentioned we, we, we. So that means you and your wife. I don't imagine all these discussions are going on with your children. Uh, so it's uh, you and your wife. And uh, is it possible to fall in love and stay in love and talk about the benefits of having your wife as a mastermind partner because that really makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? Oh, you know what, 100%. And, you know, in, in some of the we, I'm talking about me and my wife, some of the we is our kids because, you know what, I've got uh, well, my daughter's 17 and uh, and my son is, uh, is going to be 15 in, in February. They grew, I don't know where the where the last 17 years have gone to, but uh, you know what? Definitely, having open conversations I think is the most important thing. And our marriage, our marriage. is is based on, you know, based on the whole truth. I mean, we know everything about ourselves. And the the unfortunate thing, I mean, there was a huge attack on the whole family. And again, it's close to me. I'm, you know, as I as I mentioned, I'm, a, you know, I called myself a byproduct of a divorce. And uh, it's it's something that we have to work on. I think you know, great marriage. And when you're talking about falling in love, it's something that doesn't just happen by accident. You know, it's something that you have to work on, and you have to be more conscious about it. I mean, one of the biggest things is, and 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 one of the things that I do with with men, and I want to teach them, is to really become, you know, become the warriors, become the kings that they really are. And I think the reason for the falling apart of the family is because we men are kind of stepping back and we are allowing the women to do things that we men should be doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this has been happening in society for years and years, and this goes back to all the way to the First and Second World War when, you know, men went to war and women had to pick up things at home. And, uh, you know, then as you go through history, then the whole, uh, you know, uh, female liberalization came out and all of that stuff. So. And so often I feel, find a lot of women had to step up and do the things that us men should be, you know, should should be doing. Right. And uh, I think this is kind of the downfall. If we men stood up and did the things that we're supposed to be doing, uh, I think there would be a lot less issues in the society that we're facing with, uh, you know, you know, the crime and and some of the issues that we do face in in society, you know, day in and day out. And uh, I think this again for me really comes down to having that, you know, ten ten experiences. Us men really standing up, and I'm not sure if you've seen the the movie Courageous. Yeah. Kind of that whole idea, and and I tell you, I I saw the preview for that, and and I got the whole movie. I was actually kind of disappointed at the movie because I'm going, I wanted more, because for me I got the whole message from the two minute preview that the movie was all about because. I'll tell you, even though for me, you know, very conscious about the fact my parents divorced, they don't want to go through all of that. But when I was the 18 years in the financial industry and and doing and doing the business and kind of living, 
you know, one, maybe two-dimensional life, uh, realizing that even though I was at home with my kids, I was giving them the same experience I had from my dad because my dad was never around. I mean, you know, from the age of 9, 10, he wasn't around anymore. So I grew up that way. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make it different for my kids. But you know what? I realized that even though that was the thought, that's what I wanted to do. The reality was that it wasn't like that. Mm. And again, this was the kind of the story I was telling myself, well, I'm doing better than my dad. And it's like, no, 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 no. You know what? I don't just want to be doing better. I want to be doing awesome. And again, this is, this is what, you know, the whole movie Courageous for me was. It's like saying, you know what? I asked the question myself, when did I become a man? You know, and it sounds like a ridiculous question, but, you know, I struggled with that. And there are days I still don't feel like I'm a man. I mean, I'm a full, full-grown man physically. But, you know, when my dad essentially checked out at the age of 9, 10, I lost that manhood, uh, you know, bringing up. And, and, it's, and it's missing there. And when I talk to other guys, I mean, I've talked to guys in their 60s or 70s, and I ask them, okay, when did you become a man? And most of them kind of have, uh, I'm not sure. You know, and it sounds like a ridiculous question, but for me anyway, uh, it, it's, you know, it's down deep because I'm like going, okay, I'm, I'm not really sure. You know, I know I'm, I'm a man, but it's that inner feeling, inner knowing that, uh, you know, that, that's really so important. So that's, that's essentially what I want, you know, other guys to, to realize that, you know what, it's okay. If you're feeling like that, hey, there is other guys that feel the same way. Right. And I think this is when, when you're talking about, uh, you know, Napoleon Hill talking about the, you know, mastermind. I find so many men that feel like they have to do life alone. You know, and again, right. for me, you talked about the scarcity mentality. That's where I come in. That, that's, that was like, it's not just about money. It's about the thing. No, no, I should be able to do this all on my own. And it's like, life doesn't work like that. I don't believe God designed us to do things on our own. We do need other men around us. I mean, my wife is my, you know, is my life partner, is my business partner. But I will tell you this, is that especially in the last three to four years, I realized that there are things, and we share everything, but there are things when you can sit down with another man and you can share and you can really mm. express what you're feeling on the inside, there is a bit right. of a difference. Not that my wife can't understand that, but you know what? God designed us different, and women think different than men, and there are sometimes that we just need to get together with men and we just got to pour ourselves out. And I'm, I'm dealing with, with clients and, you know, some of them are going through a second divorce. Some of them are, you know, on through first divorce and they can't really share what they're feeling inside and they're kind of hiding it. And, you know, even sharing things with their pastors, they feel like they really can't. And then I find out that pastors can't really share how they're feeling because they are supposed to have it all. All right. I'm, you know, supposed to in quotation, you know, quotation marks. Right. We're not supposed to be perfect. I mean, you know, when you look through the Bible, you know, there, there is, you know, besides Jesus Christ, there's no perfect, you know, person there that you can mm-hmm. say. I mean, most people are there are messed up. <laughs> right. They have issues. Somehow we got this whole thing all wrong that we're supposed to have it all figured out. And what I really want to do when I sit down with, with you know, with clients, tell them, you know what, it's all right. We're all messed up. The question right. is if we're messed up, the question is what do we do with it? And oh, the, the biggest encouragement that I give people as we have, you know, messed up lives. I mean, as I shared, I came from, you know, from a divorced family and, and, you know, we defected, came from Czechoslovakia, went through a whole bunch of things. You know what? The bigger the mess in our life, I think the bigger the message we can have for others. 
Right. And, and really, to me, that's really the, the whole success principle is saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what you have gone through. It doesn't matter what has happened in the past. It's what you're actually going to go and do, you know, do with it and, and start looking at it that if you have gone through a horrible time, and, and I have had sat down with men, even with women, where when they share things with me, it made me angry of, of some of the things that people took advantage of others. But I look at it this way. You know what? That might be the gift that's going to carry you for the rest of your life. Start right. looking at it that way. Don't become a victim of it and allow that person or that thing that happened to you to keep on victimizing you. Get victory over that by embracing it and saying, no, you know what? I'm going to go and do something about it and help others to deal with it. Hmm. And there oh, is okay. actually, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you know who Marion Williamson is. The uh, Yes, yes, yes. The, the poem, Our Deepest Fear, and I just, Right. I love that poem, especially when it says, when we stand up, we inadvertently give permission for other people to do the same. And I have experienced that so often in my life is when I do my part, suddenly there are other people that start doing their part. And I think this is what you mentioned when you find your purpose. And I'm sure you found that yourself, that when you started doing what you were supposed to be doing, suddenly other people started finding out to you or, or around you what they should be doing, and you give them that encouragement and that power to actually go out there and do that. Right. One of the things, Daniel, the coolest revelation that I ever came to know, uh, I was in a small group Bible study with uh, about 10 to 12 guys, maybe every week, maybe 6 to 10 would show up. Uh, and most of them were business owners, executives of public companies. The world would point to them and say they were successful. But what was so cool is this was the most free-sharing small group Bible study I've ever belonged to. And as you had said, sometimes men, we can have these thoughts and we think, man, we're evil or we're horrible or whatever. For instance... One guy at one of the meetings, he was talking about, he said, you know what I find so discouraging is that I look forward all week to going to church. And then he says, when I get there, there might be a really pretty girl, like two rows ahead. And I spend time thinking about this pretty girl, my wife right beside me, waiting after having waited all week to go to church. And then you see the other guys their eyes are lighting up and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. I thought I was evil. I thought I was horrible. I thought I was the only person. And when you get in a group of men who share their heart and share their thoughts, even those little black thoughts that we think are unique to us are horrible, and you share them openly you will find you are not so unique in your thoughts and that other men experience the same thing uh, and the same thoughts and the same ideas. And so this helped me a lot so that now if I have a thought that, you know, is probably Jesus would kick my butt for, I'm thinking, okay, not a great thought, but probably not a unique one. Probably other men are experiencing these thoughts and these challenges, but none of us are brave enough to say to the other, especially in the three minutes you see people on Sunday, I've had this crazy thought and you know, I feel horrible about it. 
And so this is uh, something you had mentioned there about, you know, we think that our thoughts are unique, but when you get down and you're meeting with men and the men are free to share and trust each other and it's a confidential setting, you will find that those thoughts and those ideas come out and you're like, wow, okay, I'm, I am not crazy, I am not totally evil, it's a bad thought, but it's a common thought. And uh, probably you've experienced this as well. Well, I think really what it comes down to, and, and one of the coaches that I'm uh, that I'm listening to, the explanation that he had for this is, put it that way, we're living in kind of different worlds, you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll call them, you know, let, let, let's call them two dimensions in, in, in this particular thing. There is a dimension where, you know what, you're just in the light, right, where it's like whatever you touch, it's it's like it's the perfect thing. You always say the right things. You always do the right thing. <laughs> And there is this this other dimension, this other opposite of it, that that would be like the darkness or the shadow. And this is what you just described, right? I mean, you know, you, you have the thoughts, you know, when when you see somebody and, and, and you know, you see, I mean, God created that woman, right? So, I mean, you can go into a whole bunch of explanations why it's okay or not okay or whatever. And again, you know, to me, that just proves that you're human and it's all part of it. So how he explained it is that, you see, when we're living in the light, everything's great. Next thing, we find ourselves in the shadow, and suddenly we start beating ourselves up. Right. And we we feel horrible. And we feel like we're either here or we're on the other side. So we're either in the light or we're in the shadow, and we're in the shadow, we're not in light. So, And we're going back, back and forth. What his whole concept is, is we need to realize that we are both, we are both light and the shadow, and we're neither. And what we're able to do is if we can pull ourselves above that and become that now we're more of a chooser and observer, right, so that we can actually choose we're in the light or we can choose that we're in the darkness. Because when we're in darkness, we feel like, I don't even know how I got here. I don't know why I'm here. I'm such a horrible person. And we just keep on going down in the spiral where we're not encouraging ourselves. So when we become the chooser and observer, we can realize that, well, I can either choose to stay here and be here, or I have another option. But I know for myself, when I was in that dark place, it was always like, oh, I, I can't choose the other. I don't have a choice. I don't even know how I got here. Right. So when we're able to kind of raise above it and being the chooser and the observer, that really that really helps because we always have a choice. And I think so often... I know even for me in the past, I would say, well, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what, what happened. And then I just become a victim of the whole thing. And I would feel horrible about it. And and then I would even ask, okay, help me take this away from me. you know. And then a week later, I'm in the same place going, what what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, God, are you listening? Like, what's going on? Right? No, realizing that, you know what, if I'm there in that place, something led me to it. It didn't just happen. There were choices and decisions that I've made before that allowed me to be there. And I think one of the choices, just like you said, I mean, if if you're going through these things and you have these thoughts, just sharing with somebody else. And when you find out that, you know what, somebody else has the same thoughts, okay, now you realize that you're a human being. You know what, you're not this weird person, the only person in the world that has these thoughts. But now the question is, what do you actually want to go and do about it? So when you do find yourself next time in it, you need to realize, hang on, this is not the behavior that I want. I can actually do something about it. 
as right. opposed to becoming a victim of that whole thing. Right, right. <laughs> so, I'm, laugh- I'm laughing in my head here, Daniel, because when I before we started recording, I said, let's aim for 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, so we're, already 50 minutes. <laughs> we're past 40, and I still have one more question. One more question is that uh, to have the 10-10 level experience in the four dimensions, faith, family, fitness, and finance, is it more a time management issue or a focus issue or a decision how does someone have that in all four areas? Uh, uh, because I know in some weeks, uh, finance business is going to take up way more of my time than my faith or uh, time with my wife or even fitness. And so it can't be like an evenly spaced time management thing. Every week, I have this much time to faith, family, fitness, and finance. So is it a decision? Is it a focus? How does someone get to have a level 10 experience in all four of those areas? Uh, really what it comes down to, and, and you know, if, if you start on the financial side, you know, you've heard many people say numbers don't lie. Right? So, I mean, if you know you're succeeding in finance when you look at your bank book or your bank account, because you see the numbers. I mean, you know what, if, you know, if, if, if the numbers are very low, you pretty well know you're not doing that hot. Right. So, so, so tracking it and keeping track of it is is really important. And and for me, what it comes down to in life, and I and I call it, you know what, getting your swings in and swinging for singles, from the perspective of doing small things on a daily basis, that will get me to what it is that I want. So you know, when it comes down to and and having the ten ten level experience, the biggest thing is, I mean, how do you know that you're succeeding, you know, in in family or you know in your marriage with your kids? Most of the time, we're just kind of guessing that we're having success because, you know what, I'll, I'll just kind of, well, I've been married for 20 years, so that means I'm successful in it. Really? <laughs> really? That, that really doesn't mean anything because, you know what, I've known people that's been married for 40 years and those two don't even know each other. They, they're living on opposite side of the house. You know, so just because we're married doesn't really mean anything, but what is it that I'm doing on a daily basis that really makes the difference? Am I investing in, into the relationship? you know, that, that I'm, you know, that I'm with, you know, do I tell my wife that I love her? Do I tell my kids that I love them? Do I invest myself and, and, and really make that relationship better? You know, same thing when it comes down to, you know, when you're talking about faith, how do we know if are we're growing in faith? Are we having a faith, you know, experience 10, 10? I mean, okay. You might go to church and you feel pumped, uh, you know, because you just did worship singing and all of this stuff, but, you know, I, I know there were several times where, you know, I lost my, my faith, you know, just driving out of the parking lot because I got frustrated at something, you know, and it goes out, you know, it goes out the window. So from that, how do we really know? And again, tracking it, do I sit down, you know, every morning, do I read my Bible? Do I, you know, meditate? Do I read scriptures? Do I journal some of those things? Again, doing that on a daily basis. Uh, when it comes down to fitness, same thing with that. For me, it it really comes down to uh, you know, putting in the right fuel, getting in the right food, and having the right exercise. And again, it doesn't have to take a long time. For me, I do a lot of uh, our family, actually, the, the health change that we've done. We do a lot of raw food, and we do a lot, a lot of raw uh, plant-based diet. That's really what we're on. We do a lot of juicing. So making sure that I get the proper nutrition on a daily basis and, and, and doing that every single day. 
And again, when it comes down to finance, you know, as we said, the numbers don't lie. That's the only thing probably in life a lot of times we're tracking, mm. right? We're tracking, you know, again, it's fairly easy to track. You look at the bank account and see what's there. So I, I, I kind of have a whole system on we can go into a whole uh, probably half an hour to 45-minute explanation mm. what it all entails. But it's doing small things and investments on a daily basis because if every day I invest in my relationships, if every day I invest into my faith as far as reading the Bible, uh, you know, meditating, journaling, if every day I, I invest into my body where I put the right fuel in, the right food, and I exercise, and when it comes down to finance, now I have the energy to go out there and do my business. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of times what people do is they focus so much on the finance, they don't do all the other things. They do withdrawals from the other things because when you're not making a deposit, you're taking things out. It's kind of like your bank account, right? Unless you keep on putting money in, you're always making withdrawals on a daily basis. And if money doesn't go in, at some point you're going to run out. And I think this is where people find themselves, where they're in a relationship where, you know, unfortunately they're going through divorce or a breakdown. It didn't just happen overnight. That happened over time, over years, because they were not making deposits. They were not getting out there and – the whole idea of swinging singles is, you know, analogy from baseball. You know, yeah. when everybody wants to go out there and hit a home run, how often even the best players hit a home run? Very right. far and few and in between. But if you concentrate on, you know, hitting singles where you get your bases loaded and every day you do those small little things, like I said, sending a note to your wife, sending flowers, invest into the relationships with your kids, whomever, you get the bases loaded, and it doesn't become that stressful because every day you're going to bring somebody in. Because if you know if you're there and you're swinging for a single, and uh, you know you already have bases loaded, you're bringing somebody in because all you have to focus on is just swinging the single. And if you if you happen to him a home run, you you get four. You know that would be awesome, but again, it's not mm-hmm. going to happen that often. So this is all part of it, as you were mentioning before in my introduction, simplifying and gamifying, you know, doing more by doing less. Really what it comes down to is I think life is really simple. And, and the, to me, the best example of that is, is uh, when, when Moses, uh, this kind of analogy or story from, from the Bible where Moses was in, uh, uh, there were all of these snakes. I can't remember exactly where that was in the Bible. And God, he came to God and says, you know what, all of these men, everybody's dying. Can you help us? Right. And he told Moses to take the snake and put it on the stick. And as long as they look at the, the snake, they will live. Yet when you, when you read the verse, and again, I apologize, I don't know exactly where it is. It says, yet many men perished. It, it is so simple. All they had to do is, you know, if the snake bites them, look at the snake on the stick and they would live. We tend to overcomplicate life. And, and let me tell you, I've, I'm probably one of the people that's worse at that, where I tend to overcomplicate everything. So... My whole whole thing now is how can I make it simple, as simple as I can have it? How can I make it fun? How can I gamify it so that it becomes more fun so that I can actually go and do it? So, oh, wow. from, you know, from that perspective, I can go so much more deeper into it, but that, that's really where the level 1010 experience came in. It's difficult to have balance, and, and there are some times where I'm out of balance, but you know what the, the issue is when I find myself out of balance? It's not just one thing suffers, everything starts suffering. And I think, you know, all four dimensions start suffering. So when we make those small little deposits on a daily basis, that's really where the big difference is. And, and for me, is getting the, you know, bases loaded every single day, just going out there and hitting singles because, you know what, 
it's so much easier to hit a single than try to hit a home run. And right. so often when you try to hit a home run, it, it, you strike out exactly, and you don't even get your single in. <laughs> right? right. You're still focusing on on getting that, and and then uh, that's why that's how I look at it. That's why businesses fail. That's why marriages fail. That's why people you know are not as healthy as they possibly can be. They don't have the uh, you know the relationship with their creator as they could possibly have, because they want to hit the home runs and they're going solid. This is really where it comes down to living that one or two dimensional life as opposed to living in the four dimensions of wow. of life that we you know that we can right now I'm going to have to force myself to end this interview because boy, I got like <laughs> six more every answer you give, I get like six more questions that I want to talk about, but just tell people the best ways to find you uh maybe an email uh, people are guaranteed people listening to this are going to be like. I want to work like with a guy like that. And so let them know how they can find you, how they can reach you and how they can work with you. Well, the uh the best way to get a hold of me through email would be daniel at resetyourmoney.com. Uh that would be my email address. Obviously my website would be resetyourmoney.com. Uh you can also search me Daniel Hanzelka. Uh, on our website, all my all my uh, social media and things will uh, will come up or connect with me on uh, on on Facebook. Uh, there is a project I'm working on, which is actually the Reset Warrior, which is again that's going to be geared towards men and helping them to really uh, become the warrior that we were created uh, to be and to really take care of our families. And that's going to be ResetWarrior.com. Uh, so those would be probably the best places to uh, to get a hold of me. From from that perspective, and I think people will uh, know how to spell resetyourmoney.com before they can have, figure out. So my my last name is yes, a little bit more difficult. That? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yes, resetyourmoney.com or uh, I, even well, resetpreneur was another thing. There's few with reset. I'm I'm, I'm building my. Uh, my presence with the reset. So I'm, I'm hoping that at some point if somebody types in reset, I come up on top. I'm not quite there yet, <laughs> but, uh, but we're working on that because it's quite a common word, but uh, reset right. really came, you know, came down to it. And th- the biggest burst for me was when it, when we were going through all of the uh, changes in our life was if, if I knew that everything that I've ever learned turned out to be wrong, when would I want to know that? And for me, that became a critical question because that's really what I've learned is that a lot of things that I thought and I learned turned out not to be a full truth as I really thought. And uh, that's really the encouragement that keeps me going, and that's really where the whole reset, uh, reset idea came out of. And it came out of the idea, you know what, to reset your life and to start. And, and essentially, you can do it on a daily basis from the perspective of every single day is a brand new opportunity to start over. And, and it doesn't matter where somebody is in their life, how old they are, they can always start and, and start fresh. And, and that's really what I want to help people to uh, to be able to do. Right. So anyone listening, especially men, please, Daniel at Reset Your Money, contact Daniel. Like, geez, I want you to coach me now. Like, this is very, very, very powerful stuff. Sounds simple, but very powerful. So thank you so much for your time today, Daniel. This is a message that the world needs to hear and men need to hear and need to not just hear, they need to learn. So thank you so, so much. I got a lot out of it. I guarantee you anyone who listens will get a lot out of this as well.
All right. Well, thank you, Tom, for the opportunity to share this with your listeners, and uh, maybe we should do this again sometime. I think we have to. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. Take care. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at tomtutall.com for details.